joining us now is uh, not an old friend, uh, but a good friend. I've known uh, this gentleman for about four years now. He's the founder of uh, Big League Chew, and uh-huh. he joins us right now from his home out in Oregon, and that is Rob Nelson. Rob, how are you? Well, thanks. Glad to be here. Well, that means that means you got up real early to be on our show. He's out in Oregon. <laughs> yes, he did. What time do you get up every day, Rob? Probably about 6 a.m. I have a bunch of crazy tennis buddies that we play early with. Good so, job. So you're still playing tennis. How's your um, uh, How's your game right now? Uh, fair to middling. Okay. <laughs> Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate getting the surprise gift of a couple boxes of Big League Chew. I'm going to put it to good use. For those of our listeners or folks on Facebook Live that don't know the story, can you briefly tell us how you started Big League Chew and who helped you financially back in the day? Summer of 1977, uh, I was with the independent Portland Maverick baseball team. Uh, Bing Russell's uh, band of brothers, and uh, I didn't get to pitch much. I was in the bullpen a lot, just observing, and sitting next to Jim Bouton, the former Yankee, author of Ball Four, we were observing our teammates who were chewing and spitting uh, the other stuff, and Jim turned to me and said, did you ever chew? And I said, I tried it once for probably 30 seconds. It never made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And Jim said, funny thing, me too. And it was maybe an inning later, I said, I've had an idea for some time now, and that was to shred gum and uh, put it in a pouch so we could look as cool as these guys, but we wouldn't make ourselves ill. And Jim's <laughs> eyes got as big as baseballs. He said, Rob, I love that idea. I, I could sell that idea. And, you know, maybe two pitches later, he said, what would you call it? And just out of the thin air, I said, I don't know, Big League Chew. And God, then it was a, born. Jim put up ten grand. We became partners on a handshake. Took him about a year and a half to find the company, but he did the job. Without without Jim pounding the pavement, there would be no big league shoe story. But we were partners for a very long time. We got lucky with a small division fleet. Uh, it's now made in Western New York, uh, outside of Buffalo, by Ford Gum, and we're coming up on forty years of. Uh, what my dad called lightning in a pouch. Well, it's lightning in a pouch, and I'll tell you what else it is. And Stan and I were talking about this before the show when I found out when I found out you were going to be on, and that's the fact that with everything we found out about smokeless tobacco and and guys who have spent years and years, uh, you know, chewing and things of that nature, and the ramifications and the, and the ramifications that come with it. What a great idea this was. Okay, recently I saw some numbers that. In 1986, 55 million pounds of uh, uh, chewing tobacco in a pouch were uh, consumed in America. Wow. And last year it was down to 18. Uh, that's, so by two-thirds, it's been dropped. That's wow. I just think we had something to do with that. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that, obviously. Yeah. I don't think there's any question you had something to do with that. And, and I doubt – it's interesting. You guys did it more from a taste perspective like, or the fact you could get sick literally the moment you chewed, if you swallowed something, you guys did it from more of an innocent uh, perspective that just, hey, this will taste better, and it, you can't we'll, get sick from it. We'll look as cool. And you'll look <laughs> as cool, yeah. It's a, great, it's a great American marketing story. We're talking to Rob Nelson, one of the owners and founders of Big League Chew. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on once you sent me those, those boxes of gum 
was uh, I was thinking about the holidays. I know you played some winter ball. Uh, I guess not in Latin America where I fought. But do you remember any stories being away from home, celebrating the holidays away from home, playing baseball? You know, I uh, uh, I pitched briefly and ineffectively, as my brother Harry says, for three years <laughs> with the Mavericks. But, but uh, you know, one win in three seasons as a single-A minor league player. But the bulk of my baseball life was overseas. I played in Australia. I played in England. I played in South Africa. And uh, particularly in Australia and in South Africa, of course, it is winter baseball. And my, my two biggest memories are for Thanksgiving uh my wife and I threw a huge Thanksgiving party in Cape Town, and my teammates had never experienced Thanksgiving before. Wow. And it, it was quite fantastic that Sarah and the wife of the skipper on the team uh, went shopping to all these little uh, tiny kind of, I don't know, boutique businesses. But we had a legitimate Thanksgiving on a Thursday night in November, and for most of the ballplayers, it was just Thursday night. They said, no, go over to Brian's house, Brian Lombard, our manager. Right. And we just had an absolute fabulous Thanksgiving dinner. And one of my teammates, it was just great, Kevin Johnson said that this may be the greatest thing America's ever exported to the world. <laughs> uh, and I said, yeah, what's what's not to be grateful for? And yeah. uh, that was a great memory. That was that was really cool. How about Christmas itself or New Year's? Were you, did you spend those overseas sometimes? I pitched. I pitched in the tournament, and they said, Rob, you're going to be pitching on Boxing Day. And, and you know, I was 24 years old, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what Boxing Day is. Well, in the British Commonwealth, historically, the the servants got served, got served, got given, they were given their Christmas presents, boxes of presents, the day after Christmas, because, you know, Christmas Day was a work day for them. So it was kind of a big deal in Cape Town. Uh, the the annual Boxing Day tournament, and it was wonderful to be pitching on December 26th, and it was 88 degrees, and uh, I was living the dream. <laughs> it's quite amazing. Rob, what kind of a response do you get? Like you said, it's been 40 years, but what kind of a response do you get from people about your product and and what it's like today for the people that use that product. And is there a breakdown? Is it more kids or do, do you know, older teenagers and young adults chew it just as well as kids? Out there, you know, since 1980, uh, 2020 will be the actual 40th anniversary. Okay. Uh, uh, it, it's, I suppose the, the best anecdote is on Halloween in, in Northeast Portland on 18th Avenue. I've got... 200 this past year 300 pouches of big league chew that we give out at the front door and a third of them go to the parents because kids will run down from the, from our, our front step and say dad i got some big league chew or mom look at this and the parents will kind of look glumly i'll say hey it's not it's for kids of all ages and i'll toss them a pouch of big league chew and they're as happy as their kids are yeah <laughs> so, so that that's pretty cool uh i still do a baseball camp on long island uh, it's my 34th summer coming up doing that. And I have kids whose uncles, I haven't had one kid whose parents have played in the camp, but I have had a lot of kids just say, my uncle played in this camp in 1986. And that's really fun because it's, yeah, Coach Rob is the bubblegum guy. And so it transcends ages by now, which is, which is really a fun thing. The demographic says it's mostly kids 13 and under. But my experience when I'm out to a restaurant or having a beer with some friends, 
everybody, it seems, has a big league true story. And it really makes me smile to know that, that it made a lot of people happy. That uh, You know, Cal Ripken had sent me a nice note on the 25th anniversary, hard to believe, almost 15 years ago. God. He just said, you know, what you did was you brought, you brought fun to, to the ballpark. And, yeah. and that's kind of how I look at it. Do you still affiliated with the Ironbirds? Do you do some stuff with them? Birds, but I do a little bit of stuff with, with Cal. We, uh, we're doing most of our stuff with the Baseball Hall of Fame now. Uh-huh. Uh, with the, with the, 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 the Hall of Fame bubblegum and working with Jeff Idelson and his team up in Cooperstown uh, has been a delight. So I get to see Cal uh, you know, through, through that means. And, and Billy, I get, when I'm back in New York, I, I usually sneak over to Secaucus and have dinner with Bill near the uh, MLB Network. But those guys are fantastic. They're, they're probably two of my biggest fans for Big League Chew. Hey, I want to take you back to Jim Bouton. Uh, you, you pitched briefly with him. You became a business partner with him. Um, his career was really uh, not his baseball career. His post-playing career as a writer and an actor was just ready to take off when you met him, wasn't it? Bouton, I had met him when I got out of Cornell – Nobody drafted me. I really wanted to keep playing baseball. Mm-hmm. I only had one good year in college, and lucky for me, it was my senior year. And uh, I had written to Jim. He was doing ABC Sports. Uh, That's right. Nighttime yep. News. Nighttime News. They probably gave him five or six minutes to talk sports. Uh, and, and I wrote to him, and I said, I'm working on a knuckleball, and I'm throwing in the gym four nights a week, and I just can't get it to work. And he sent me a postcard back, and, and he said uh, – when when you're back, you know, down this way, uh, give me a call and and we'll we'll work out. And we did. I met him in Teaneck, New Jersey. He was pitching for I think the Teaneck Merchants or something. You know, he was uh, almost forty years old, and he, he took a half hour of his time. This guy just off the street. As it turned out, his brother was a left-handed quarterback for the Cornell lightweight football team. So there was a connection there. But he just loved guys who loved baseball. And then it was two years later when he came to Portland to pitch for the Mavericks because he, too, was trying to get back into uh, organized baseball as opposed to the Mavericks, which was disorganized baseball. Uh, He was just a really good guy. He never big leagued us as a Maverick. Uh, He said it was one of the most exclusive baseball fraternities he'd ever belonged to, uh, even more so than the Yankees because the Mavs only existed, you know, for five years. Jim Bouton's an absolute first-class guy. He's going to be 80 years old in March, and I uh, love him like a brother. Just a really good guy. Is he still in good health and got his all his faculties with him? Because he was a sharp, sharp guy. He's not. He does not have all his faculties. Yeah. He, he suffered a stroke a couple of years ago, uh, but he is the bulldog. You know, when I go to visit him, and uh, he's in Massachusetts, so it's a bit of a trek for me, but. Uh, and I'll be going up in two weeks' time, it, it's difficult. He remembers stuff specifically, and his wife Paula says, it's amazing when you guys come here, how it comes back to him. But it's it's on-again, off-again kind of thing. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's difficult to, to to visit with somebody who was so sharp, yeah. who has uh, you know less than his A-game now, I suppose is the politest way I can say it. And it's, uh, uh, it, it's a struggle for Jim, but, you know, he's up to the task. He's... he's Where's he? Is he in New England now? Massachusetts, near Great yeah, Barrington. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah, Craig. No, I was just going to say you're talking to two guys that never have their A game. So, 
That's pretty got, funny. That guy, Rob, going. Hey, we appreciate your stopping on the show. Um, if there's one thing, I know you love baseball because you played a long time, you've been around it a long time. If there's one thing you were named commissioner for a day, what would you change about baseball? About baseball, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I suppose I, I, I would hope for them to find, uh, quite honestly, the most important thing is uh, the strike zone. And I really think that technology is almost there that yep. just as airline pilots accepted the fact that the autopilot was a good thing, yep. uh, I think that the technology for the strike zone would speed up the game and it would make the game more fun to watch. And quite frankly, as a pitcher, if I knew the strike zone was the strike zone and it wasn't dependent upon who was behind the plate, the game would be better. It would be better for the hitters and it would be better for the pitchers. And Rob. most importantly, it would be better for the fans. Rob, you might have pitched longer. <laughs> you might have pitched longer. No, he probably would no, have been out likely. sooner. He probably would have been out sooner. You know, Rob, that is my number one change that I would make in the game of baseball. I think the technology is there. I think the lack of a predictable strike zone for young pitchers is just terrible. And when we know how much stress is on a pitcher's arm and the value of those pitchers' arms – to have to make them throw 18 or 20 more pitches in an inning because an umpire missed a strike, you know, 15 pitches before, I think it's terrible. I think it really would speed the game up. In this world, if you had two options and one was going to be 99.9% correct right. and the other one was going to be 89.9%, I think you'd always go with the one that gave you the better outcome. I, and, and I think that's the, the, the cleanest way to look at it. I look at how technology has improved professional tennis and how quickly they get decisions made. Yep. I think baseball could do the same thing. You're the best. Rob, thanks a million. Have a great, healthy holiday happy, season and a happy new year. Happy Chew Year, as we say in the business. Ha- happy ah! Chew Year. Or in my business, we say Happy Jew Year. <coughs> that's right. Yeah. All right. Rob, <laughs> thanks, buddy.